Become another man, the dice rolls and I take another chance But life on life terms can burn real deep All my scars will show that emotion bleeds So is death just a place that we go and we die? And is life just a test only meant for the wise? Oh no, daddy Hi there everyone and welcome to Straight From The Source The podcast from APSU, the association of participating service users I'm your host Emma Rafferty in these podcasts, we're going to hear from people whose lives have been impacted by drugs and alcohol and from others who work in the field. Thank you so much for joining us. Just to note that this is part two of a two-part interview, so make sure you've listened to part one first. So to, to kind of go back to, you know, his living in the house and he's using heroin and you put all these strategies in place to protect yourself and, you know, get stronger and help the other children. How long did that go on for that you just kind of plotted along like that? And, you know, when did things next change? So um, he had a rather brief fling and had a son and that changed. Um, he be- He... Spent a lot of time with his son because the the mum left and and so she had nothing to do with the child um, and and he loved him more than anything else and um, but his addiction was so strong by that stage that his love for his son still was not enough to beat the addiction. Yeah. You know... Um, Did he talk about wanting recovery? Yeah, and um, uh, he went to Wellington House and and we did that program. We did buprenorphine um, for quite a long time. Did that help at all? That did, it, um, because um, we did then had a custody issue and, and we were going through the courts and... Probably we had nearly two years of clean or clean off heroin and maybe there was still other stuff being used. But um, he was really trying because he wanted to have his son living with us. Um, When that didn't turn out the way he wanted, he just went hell-bent. Yeah. You know, that... Um, and look, and I was devastated and hurt, and and I'm thinking, and I'm only the nana. Mm. What must he, as the parent, be feeling? Yes. Um, and look, now on reflection, the decision was probably the best one um, in terms of how his son has grown up. Did Did he still get access? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he still had quite a lot of time together. Absolutely. So we had. Um, maybe five days of the fortnight um, that he was with us, um, which was difficult for Chris in that time because he had to conceal his use. Yes. He, there was no way he would ever let his son see him using. Yeah. Um, and so... There was that double life he was constantly living and, and, you know, he was going to work and so there's a double... A lot of um, intense pressure on him. Um, I'm not sure that at that stage he was even getting any um, pleasurable effects from the heroin. I think he was just holding the withdrawal at bay. Does that um, sound 
about right. Was he on buprenorphine at that time as well, like using them both together? Oh, sometimes, yes, yeah, yes, yes, because we'd come out of the chemist and he'd be jammed up up here and then he would <laughs> use that in a different way as, as well. He had every um, technique possible. Mm. Um, but um, his son went away for six weeks. Um, he he travelled a lot with the grandparents um, and that six weeks just sort of pushed him to the limit. It was too long and he missed him dreadfully and he went hard. He went hard on um, using, hard on drinking, um, driving a car that he should not have been anywhere near um, and that's it was then during that time um, that he overdosed. But he'd had, I think we worked out, something like 27 overdoses where he'd been revived before the fatal one. Yeah. So um, he was what, like, like... Where, where was, like, what was the circumstances of that one? Uh, I was at home. So um, um, his younger brother and I were both home. Um, wow, that must have been so awful. Oh. Well, the awful part was that, that despite everything that happens in our life, my family has the worst sense of humour. We, you know, we, we're shocking. And um, he'd been out and about, as he said, and, and his brother and I were, were watching uh, Law and Order or something. We, um, and he'd come home and he was a creature of habit. He made Milo and took it down to his bedroom... Um, which usually was a mess, a trail, you know, that you could follow all the way down. <clears throat> and his brother said to me, oh, Mum, he hasn't been back for his Milo. You know, um, we better go down and check on him. Little did I know that they'd always had an, uh, an arrangement that he would use in his bedroom and Tez, his brother, was to go ten minutes later and check on him. I didn't know they had that agreement, but... That was a really mature thing for him to set up. Yeah, and, and put into place. And so we're making jokes, walking down to his bedroom, joking and making jokes about him. Um, and, of course, we've got down there and found him. And and, um, and I was useless. And he was on the floor. Um syringes and all that crap was all in his bed and everywhere around him. Um, strange where strength can come from when you're a mother that sees your child not breathing. I was able to actually pick him up and move him from the jam spot he was in to on lame out and I'm screaming hysterical and slapping him because that works. Um, but, you know, that's what... Um, you do, and his brother had rung triple O zero straight away, and he was on the phone, and, and they were giving him instructions on um, where to where to feel for a pulse and do all of that. So he worked on him for twenty minutes before the ambos arrived. The person on the other end of the phone said, "Send your mother out of the room. She's too distracting." Because I I was just screaming and. Hysterical, and so I went and waited for um, the well, I sent to, um, and then they came in and they said he was 
gone and, and passed away. Um, and then everything was out of our control. That's the part you don't know, that you think that, um, you know, your son's laying there dead and that you can spend time with him and whatever. But the police, I think six police arrived. They were around us, uh, and I'm foolish. I'm thinking they're around us to... Support. It's because we're suspects. We could have killed him. So, you know, everything is lost. It's, it, it's, it's a, a whole different... Um, situation that you just can't even imagine, you know, that um, and then we had to wait for the um, coroner to arrive and oh, it was the wildest wet weather in, in the hills and it's muddy and the coroner got really narky because um, my German shepherd jumped on him and put mud on his jumper and I'm thinking, don't worry about me my son's dead inside <laughs> you know, like this oh whole, whole, you know, bizarre sort of situation. But everywhere I went, these two police followed me and, and yeah, I thought it was to look after me, but it wasn't. <clears throat> Do you think they were so insensitive because it was a drug-related death? I think it was that. I think that um, it was all that stigma and, and stuff around... Um, because it was a drug-related. I think that they treated us differently, I assume, um, that if he'd had a heart attack, they might have been treating us differently than Mm. um, they were um, because it was drug-related. You know, they they took things... You know, they took his phones and things like that, you know, um, as if it was a crime scene, you know. It was... um, it was very impersonal. It was yeah. very cold. Um, at that stage, his sister was living in her own little place in um, Ringwood and I wanted to go and get her Or and they wouldn't let me leave, they wouldn't let me do anything and they, the police kept saying, we'll send a police car round to get her. Well, that would have frightened them. would have been daylights out of yeah. her. By this stage, it's two in the morning or whatever. Yeah. Um, Fortunately, I could get my brother-in-law. Um, he lived close by and you know, woke him up and said, I need you to go and get Jamie and, and bring her here. Um, but the coroner wouldn't wait um, for her to get there to see him, you know, so they took him away before she got to see him and that was really um, hurtful for her. She really wanted to have shared that part of that with with all of us and to yeah. have been part of it and, um, and because it's quite a while then when, when they were with the coroner yes um, a long time so um, because he was down that end of the house um, they made us go out in the wooden veranda in the cold with the police while they took him out and it was just I don't know it was just really awful um, it just sounds it. It, you know the um you know, not one of them asked us if we were okay um, or anything like that. When the detectives from Eltham arrived, I thought, what on earth are they doing here? I mean, why have they sent detectives from Eltham for an overdose? Mm. Um, 
Look, I was grateful he was home and not in a public toilet somewhere yeah. like other parents have lost their kids. Um, you know, um, in fact, I, I know people will think this is weird, but I feel a little bit blessed that he chose to leave us with us there, you know, at, at home with us. Um, when you say chose, do you think that there was an element of that that he was... I think he'd given up being safe. You know, I think he was playing Russian roulette. You know, how far could he keep pushing this? Yeah. I think he stopped caring. Yeah. Um, don't think he deliberately... Yeah, there's a big in-between space. Yes. I know that space. Yeah, yeah. He, he was there. Look, I, I think... I oh know I'd be putting words into his mouth. You know, I don't really know what he was um, thinking... But maybe he didn't expect to die that night because he'd asked his brother to make a car payment for him for the, the next day and had given um, his brother the money to make the car payment and that was a bit of our joking, was he never gives me the full amount. I've always got to <laughs> top it up and, and fix it up. So maybe it wasn't on his um, radar for that night, but I don't think he thought he was going to live a long time. We did, um, he loved Jim Morrison from the doors and, um, and my daughter and I smuggled um, some of his ashes in a makeup container and took them to Paris and sprinkled them on Jim Morrison's grave. Wow. <laughs> so um, we put him with him. <laughs> um, but the other thing was um, around that attitude of being a, a drug one, um, his brother and I had to um, make be interviewed by the detectives in at um, Lilydale Police Station, and of course I didn't realise I still hadn't clicked that we were suspects, mm. and um, and and I do use humour to get me through a lot of things. And he'd asked a question, and and I said, oh well, there are times you know in his life where I'd walk down the hallway with the pillow and think, oh tonight's the night. And Tess is kicking me under the table. Mum, no, not now. Don't make your silly jokes now. You know, you'll think that you really did um, uh, put something in Chris's um, syringe and, and kill him. Um, so... <laughs> we, so just outrageous that that's even, you know, a thought pattern. In oh, it was... And, and that was awful. It was a horrible experience, is it? was probably three hours of being interviewed and, and statements and stuff. But then I get the letter from the coroner, um, you know, saying that in a few days' time his autopsy results will come through and all that and to be ready for that. But the coroner's letter was wrong. It had his wrong birth date. It had that he was the youngest child, not the oldest child. It had all these mistakes and I thought, you know... Wow. Again, is this because it's a drug-related mm. death that you haven't even put enough care into this yeah. to get it right? Yeah. And it took so long for me to get that changed because one day maybe his son might read that and it needs to be right. Yeah. It needs to be respectful and, and right. And, and, and well, Families sometimes are, are waiting for that for answers, you know, like I know in my circumstance... That I, I was hoping that would provide an answer. If it's wrong, who can trust it? You know, Absolutely. it's just disrespectful, totally. Yeah, yeah. And and 
I found it disrespectful. I, I, look, I might be judging wrongly there, but, you know, there's so many things Yeah. Uh, um, on the way we're treated is different yeah. um, when it's drug-related. Um, I'm really lucky that... Um, I'm, I'm lucky that the funeral parlour in Lilydale knows me <laughs> because they buried um, Terry and, and my mum. Um and they were wonderful. They, they just you know not Mark's boy, you know, please not Mark's boy. And, and they just beautiful what they did for us. And and um, they allowed us to have um, a wooden box, Chris. Sorry, um, but we spent the night before the funeral decorating it, painting it, putting photos on it, writing him notes and all sorts of things, and, and they were wonderful. They brought us in cups of tea and cakes mm. and, and, and looked after us in that way. And um, Ian um, snipped off a couple of his dreadlocks for us to keep. And, and so it's it's interesting that different people respond yeah. differently. You know? Yeah, I'm glad that there were some people who, you know, responded with love and were supportive. And yeah, and... And cared, you know, they, they wanted it to be the best funeral. Yeah. Not, not a nasty one. Mm. So, you know, that's so much grief and loss that you've experienced, you know, as a family. What, how did you get from there to where you are now, you know? Look, it's been a, um, a tough one. It really has. Um, again, the supper club, um, and the fact that Family Drug Help um, heard our need, and, and so that helped me greatly. Um, look, and, and being able to um, reflect a lot and, and think about what we've been through and, and actually be grateful for what we've been through, you know, that... Um, I think you can make a choice, you can wallow in it and, and say, my life has been horrid and um, I deserve to be looked after or something and, and just sit there and, and feel sorry for yourself. Or you can choose to say, well, I've only got this much life left. Um, I'm going to get out there and explore it and, and do things. And I wanted um, my kids to... Um, have choices and, and a good life from this point on. And, and, you know, it would have been easy for both of them to follow his footsteps maybe. They haven't, but, you know, it might have been. I wanted them to go out and explore the world and, and enjoy things. And they wouldn't have been able to do that if I was sitting miserable every day. I mean, I miss him every day mm. um, and I wish things were different. But I think he'd be pretty pleased with us that we've um, finally cleaned out his room <laughs> ten years later. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, in talking to people, that has been hard um, because if he died of cancer, people would have asked me what treatment he had and yes. where he'd been looked after and... and what's happening with you but because it was drugs nobody asked people don't like to mention his name and stuff um, yeah. 
whereas I do, you know, and I, and I speak up a lot about him. Um, and I think that's important too. You can't just let them disappear. And also the finding purpose in it a little bit, you know, yeah. like turning it into something meaningful. Or like you do a lot of work to, you know, reach out and help other people. And, and change that stigma around the family so families get better support. And I think we've made progress, but I think yeah. it still sits there that um, families are judged um, by the circumstances that have been in their lives. Um but yes, finding purpose. I try to write as much as I can um, about it um, and share and try to support other um, parents as much as I can. Um, and I also try to support other people that are using mm. um, because I want them to know I'm not judging them Yeah. either, you know. Um, and I think I'm pretty spoiled because a lot of his mates still stay in contact and uh, um, drop in or ring or send messages on Facebook and I think uh, that says something in, it, yeah. in itself. Yeah. It's nice to know that there's still so much love for him. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, they had good times with him yeah. as well, you know, and, and we did. Um, and when my dad was dying, he um, said to me, he'll see Chris and give him a... A cuddle, you know. That's beautiful. Yeah. I I was really struggling not to cry. Um, So I'm just thinking for anyone who's listening to this and who, you know, is experiencing grief and loss and there's been so much, um, you know, loss within the kind of AOD sector as well Mm. with Regina and everything. Um, What kind of advice what message do you have for people that are kind of they can identify and they're feeling that look i think that um one of the things that's important is is that we we say to people what you're feeling is real you know that when you're feeling absolutely exhausted worn out and beaten it's real but you don't have to stay there you know you can do some things to change that and sometimes that changing that is just talking to someone or, mm. or ringing a helpline or whatever. You know, oddly enough for me, it was um, dancing to the old rock and roll bands that I <laughs> danced to when I was a teenager, you know, are still playing these days and loud music, live. Yeah. You know, that was... I just felt alive again. And so I make sure I get out and um, go and listen to, you know, old Beatles songs and Red Rolling Stones songs. And, and that that music and dancing with other people and you think, yeah, I'm still alive. It just blows out the cobwebs and yeah. um, the pain. You know, you can dance it out and... and so it's finding something. Yes. It's finding something yeah. that resonates with you. That Such good advice. You know, it's just yours for that time. And, and you know, when um, Chris died, um, we were going to see the same band a lot and, and um, the guitarist from the band, um, we'd, we'd often spoken about Chris's drug use and stuff and 
he um, came over to me and he just sort of put his arm on my back and he said, what song would you like most of all to hear um, to get out there and dance? <laughs> and I thought that was just one of those little very special moments, do you know what I mean, yes. that just got it, you know. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, it is, it's finding that passion, accepting that, you know, that um, heart-wrenching grief is real um, and, and it hurts and it does all of those things. But you can sort of push it a little bit to the side and still see all those blue skies and, you know, those beautiful waves on the beach yeah. and, and all of those things, you know, that... Um, and I think that is honouring the ones we've lost. Yeah. Is is to get out there and, and just participate again in life. I think that's a really beautiful message. So we should, um, you know, wrap up now. But before I ask you these, you know, quick lighthearted questions, is there anything else that you want to say that I've missed or...? No, I think um, the main thing is, um, for me, was finding that support, you know, and, and I don't want this to sound like a, an ad for... Promotion, <laughs> yeah, but, family drug help. Yeah. Um, but really, having people who didn't judge me, who accepted me for who I was, um, yeah. made all the difference. Mm. Made all the difference, you know. Yeah. And, and um, that still embraced you regardless of being sacked or, you know, all of those things. They just still accepted you for who you were. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I suppose it's like the antidote to the stigma and the shame and everything, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the the questions, I'll just ask you a couple of, you know, fun, quick questions, and you mm-hmm. just have to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, so what is your favourite food? Chops. Lamb chops. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what is your spirit animal? Oh, cat, I think. What is your favourite book or TV show? My favourite book, The Yellow Wallpaper by Charles Perkins, who was a, actually a woman who wrote about going mad under the um, oppression of her husband. I'll have to look that up. Fantastic. Um, what is your favourite thing to do in your leisure free time? Uh, listen to Bob Dylan. Hmm. What are you learning about at the moment? Oh, how to use the computer so that it doesn't lose the work that I've done. <laughs> Maybe we can help you with that. Um, okay, and finally, what's your favourite quality about yourself? I think my sense of humour. Yeah, I mm. think. Um, and a little bit of wisdom. A lot of wisdom, <laughs> I think, Mark. Okay, well, we're finished then. Thank you so much. I, that was such an amazing interview. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Straight from the source is the voice of the Association of Participating Service Users, or APSU, which is a service of the Self-Help Addiction Resource Centre, or SHARC. APSU is a Victorian consumer representative body which believes that the voice of the people impacted by drugs and alcohol is important and should be heard. In our podcast, we look at a range of different issues relevant to those impacted by drug and alcohol use from varying perspectives and talk real, honest stories straight from the source. We will have more guests and more stories coming to you monthly. 
Podcast episodes and further information on APSU can be accessed through the APSU webpage, www.apsuonline.org.au, through our Facebook page, APSU Shark, and soon through iTunes and other podcasts. Music is from Jimmy Loops. His Facebook is Big Jimmy Loops, and his YouTube is Mr. Jimmy Loops. Just a reminder that the views expressed by our guests are not necessarily reflective of APSU and Shark. And where do we go? That's the question. Does somebody know if there's any other way if I'm beyond the prayer? Because it's every other day that I'm beyond repair. Hold on, da-dee-dee-doo-ho, ba-dee-dee-dee-so. Body hold it, hey. Don't know where to go, don't know where be. I want redemption.